after. Yeah, I'm uh, just going to get this. Okay, I'd like to introduce our, our next speaker, Vijay uh, um, Ravindran. Um, Vijay is the co-founder and CEO of Florio, a uh, startup company building virtual reality autism therapy. So it's all Which mics are hot? This one? Come on. Yeah, this mic. Okay, great. Hi there. It's awfully intimidating because I'm between you and lunch, but uh, <laughs> I hope. Oh, we need the screen too. So. Is that, is that this? No, we're okay. Great. Okay, excellent. So, uh, yeah, thanks everyone. My name is Vijay Ravindran. I'm the co founder and CEO of Florio. We're based here in Washington, D.C., up, uh, up Red Line in Friendship Heights Station. So. Um, and we've been working for about a year uh, on our product, which is uh, autism therapy based in virtual reality. Um, how many of you have encountered uh, or had a relationship with someone who's on the autism spectrum or, uh, yeah, so some of you, not everyone. Um, the latest CDC survey prevalence rates uh, put the prevalence rate of autism at one in 45 kids. Um, it continues to go up year after year as these surveys are, are, have been done. If you look at the stats from five years ago, it's one in 88. Um, so, you know, there's, a, there's an awareness that's leading to more diagnosis as well as, uh, you know, an evolution around the standards as well as other causes that we don't understand, all of which are driving the number of cases of autism amongst kids up. And so when you look at the population of autistic kids in the US, uh, it comes out to about 1.5 million kids. Um, and once a family is in this world of autism, they face a set of costs that uh, go beyond raising a typical child, 10 times the costs. Um, I know this for a fact since I'm a parent of a child on the spectrum and we've been living this world for the last five years. And the inspiration from Florio comes from our experiences over the last five years of interventional therapy. Now, many of you probably hear the word therapy, and it can mean a lot of different things in a lot of different contexts. So I actually wanted to walk through a couple of very short videos that help explain what we're doing in a little more detail, starting with uh, a CDC public service video that um, shows a child demonstrating some of the symptoms, and in particular, uh, an area. You want to try to see if you can get him to respond to it? No. Evan. 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 See maybe if you can get him to respond to you now, you can use touch with his name, like give him a little tickle or something. Evan. 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 He likes the tickles, but he's just not giving you too much eye contact, but he does smile when you mm -hmm. tickle him. Evan. 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 So um, this is, this is uh, something that I know really well because this was a lot of the behaviors of my son between two and three years old. Um, he can hear fine, but he's not reacting in what you'd consider a typical behavior. He's not turning around. He's not acknowledging his name. And so once you have a diagnosis, you enter a world of therapy. And if there's two things to leave you with when you think about the challenge for these families, it's accessibility and affordability, that the autism market actually is quite big. Um, as far as amount of dollars spent in the U.S., but depending on where you live, you have access to professional therapists or not, and depending on your insurance and your financial situation, you can afford some of the therapies that are evidence-backed that could help. 
And so uh, that's a big challenge affecting a lot of folks. And once you do find a professional therapist in therapy, uh, you start a world of, uh, of many hours of, of interventional uh, sessions. And so here, just a short uh, example of what a, a therapy session looks like. Since a lot of people have different impressions of therapy, is it they uh, think it's akin to marriage counseling, they think it's akin to a lot of other things that they have personal experience with, but uh, childhood developmental therapy is based on uh, really trying to understand the stair step of skills that lead to a socially uh, performing adult and all the things that you need to, to pull that off. And so here, working on a skill called joint attention, I've muted the sound so I can talk over it, but they're in the home, they're using the television, and in particular, Lion King is playing on the TV. So the therapist has selected that because they know there's engagement. Um, sorry, one second. And the therapist who's off camera is actually making eye contact and interacting with the child as the child is interacting with the Lion King video. And what this enables is essentially creating a shared social activity between the child, the video, and the therapist. And she's using the confines of the home to accomplish this. So the first thing you might think about is that, well, these families need a home that has the kind of space to facilitate this therapy. Not every family has that kind of situation. The second is that there's all sorts of distractions in this environment. Um, the dad is in the background during the video. Um, you see a lot of things on the floor. There's toys around. Um, there's a challenge to keep the child's attention on the task at hand as they're working on this. And so our solution starts with, starts with virtual reality. Um, you've heard a lot of people already talk about the benefits of VR, so I won't spend a lot of time dwelling on it since you're going to be hearing that repetitively, but we're building a safe, immersive, repeatable environment for therapy. Mobile VR, using the smartphone, creates a cost point. Um, we're using a $9 headset, so uh, we're not competing with uh, Dr. Martin's fine. But, um, and, uh, but the reality is that the mobile VR price point allows you to basically say, using the phone you already have in your pocket, we can, you can create a, a virtual reality experience that, let's face it, as a startup, it's only going to get better year after year because there's so much going in, not because of healthcare per, per se, but because of all the other verticals that are driving innovation in this area. Um, and, uh, and that one of the really magical things about VR in our context is that when I showed you that example earlier of the therapist working with the child making eye contact with a Lion King video, up to a third of the therapy time is actually spent uh, tallying and, and notating the observations of the session after a session is done. Many of these things in a VR environment can be automated away. Um, part of what our system is predicated on an idea of supervising that experience, that it's not a solitary VR experience, but instead it's a shared social experience that a therapist or special ed teacher or an engaged a, a parent can essentially do with the child. And so let me show you an example of what it looks like. So you'll see here that we have a... Let's see. There's an elephant over there. Hmm. <coughs> Let's see. Let's find one of the animals. So think of the session we just saw and how you can essentially build a virtual reality version of it. All right. Let's look at Emma. What's the elephant doing? Nice job watching the elephant with Emma. 
So here what you're seeing is we have a paired experience. The iPad is the supervisor's console. It allows the adult to essentially conduct the session. And in other lessons, we have puppeteering controls for the avatar in the scene. We have other ways to essentially spur engagement. The child wearing the headset is able to go through the interactions. Um, and essentially, we're building a practice environment. This could be used as a supplement to face-to-face -face therapy that the child is already receiving. It could be used by the parents in the home at times that they're able to work with the child, but might not be conducive to a professional therapist seeing the child, I think weekends, evenings. Um, and in a 360 environment, you have the opportunity to build an engaging, enveloping scene. So think of the distractors you saw in that home therapy. Um, and instead, the child is able to wear the headset. And, and one of the feedbacks we've gotten from the hundreds of kids who have now tried out this experience is that the parents will say, oh, my child is never this compliant in therapy. Once the headset goes on, one of the really cool things that you see is that they're able to focus on the scene. And, uh, and so even if there's background chatter, which can normally throw off a child who's on the spectrum and can be easily distracted, they too start to tune that out. Um, this scene is about to be piloted at a special education school in New Jersey in July um, called Celebrate the Children. And the, we, there are well-known diagnostics for pre- and post-evaluation of joint attention development that we'll be able to do on the subjects that are going through the trialing to see that VR does relate to translatable, generalizable skills in the real world. That's the big thing. Um, the state of academic research today, there's been a lot of research that predates head-mounted displays, um, and then a few research studies involving autistic populations, um, fairly small sample sizes. Um, we thought it was very important in the, in the life cycle of our company to start with the evidence showing that our system works in this context. So you spend all this time with therapy with kids. Where does it lead? You know, when, when you're talking to families, they basically want three things for their children. They want them to be able to be, live independently if possible. They would like their children to be gainfully employed. They would like their, their child to eventually have meaningful relationships. All of those can feel extremely far away when you start this process as a family um, once you have a diagnosis. And the, the numbers back that up. The unemployment rate is extremely high amongst this population, despite the fact that in many cases, these kids and adults have really strong skills on something that should have job prospects. My son is really into mapping and navigation. He understands directions better than any you know, normal child. He can guide you through DC. He definitely knows more than most cab drivers uh, and, and Uber drivers are no you know, not even a contest. But, um, but meanwhile, think of all the other skills that go into having a job that you need beyond the job tasks. Think of all the skills you have to have to be able to live independently. Um, for, for these families, they're thinking through, how can I possibly coach my child to, to do those? And we think virtual reality is an amazing platform to actually create that type of teaching environment. So now you know the dreams. Think of also the fears. Who knows what this picture is from? This was a big news story last July. Yeah, so this uh, so one person. So, you know, shooting, police shootings uh, in the US are obviously have a lot of attention. This one didn't get as much attention as some of the others because the victim of the shooting survived. Um, but, it, but in this community, it was the biggest story for several months because what happened was an autistic individual wandered um, from his group home. He had a toy train in his hands, which the police interpreted as a gun, um, though the case is still being aired out, uh, so not all the facts have surfaced. 
And um, the African-American person on his back uh, was the therapist trying to bring uh, the adult back to the group home. And the police ended up shooting. Uh, the therapist was shot. Uh, the police claimed that they were shooting actually at the autistic individual because they interpreted the gun as a weapon. We'll see whether the, what, what actually the truth lies in this. But this is a big fear. Um, and so we actually, at that time, reached out to the Montgomery County Police Department because we wanted to understand what kind of training, what, what's being done in these different schools. And based off of that, we've built uh, a set of lessons around teaching safety around law enforcement. Um, I'm going to play this, and then I'll tell you a little bit more about it. <clears throat> so again, you see the two device set up. Um, here, we're in an urban street corner, and the uh, autistic individual that would be going through this type of training is sitting on a bench. Um, and uh, the officers walk up. Can I talk to you a moment? And so think of the type of conversational coaching needed to safely go through an interaction like this. Um, what are you doing here? And each of these answers potentially either de-escalating the situation or escalating the situation, as well as calming that child. And can you tell me your street address? Because if that child starts to flap or you know, exhibit other behaviors that the officer is not prepared for, it can be taken. I need more information. And so part of what we're building is also ways to create very simple branched conversation so that there's some dynamism to that interaction. Um, so, you know, imagine the child giving an incomplete answer, officer asks for more information. I need more information. <laughs> I will stop this here. The adult, the adult is involved the entire way. Yeah, so there's no, there's no automation to this. We use a paired adult who is there to interpret and decide whether to proceed. Um, in, other, in the other cases, uh, like in the previous example I showed you, the joint attention module, the tasks are well-defined. We use you know, what is right now primitive with gaze tracking to uh, make conclusions on the performance of the child. Um, our belief is that this stuff is all going to get better because eye tracking is a major focal point of where this, these technology vendors are going with the VR platform. Um, and so our vision is a you know, ever-growing suite of therapeutic content ranging from the skills building that you saw in the first example, which is being piloted at uh, a school, and we have a separate pilot relationship with one of the largest therapy companies in the U.S., as well as uh, social type interactions, like what you saw here with the police uh, officer. Um, this is being piloted with Children's Hospital Philadelphia Center for Autism Research. So they've applied for and received a grant now, and we're in the planning processes of executing that, hopefully in August, September. And, and that's it. Here's my contact information if you're curious on uh, following up and uh, following our progress. We have a mailing list and, and social uh, connections. And uh, thanks for the audience. OK, I think we have time for a few questions. I have one. Yeah. Hi, I'm Lauren Come on. Can yeah, I, can, I can hear you fine. OK, great. Um, this is really, really interesting. Thank you. I, I'm Thinking about the data that you're collecting, you mentioned at the eye movement, it seems like there's a lot of research. I'm not an expert at all yeah. on autism, but there are 
you know, you have repeatable environments and experiments here, and you're collecting data on eye movement from multiple children on the same module. So are you, like most companies, I know their data is proprietary. It's how you make your product better. It's how you have a competitive advantage. But there are so many researchers that would die yeah. for that kind of composite set of data on a large population. Yeah. Are you planning to share it? Or are you doing in-house research? Yeah, it's a great question. and. Uh, you know, I think, first, our company's focus is on showing that this is effective, leads to generalizable skills, that we can build a product that can be packaged in a manner that's simple enough for therapists and parents to use. Um, and we are talking to some researchers who are looking at the, the fingerprinting behavior of the way that a child might pan through the scene or interact with, uh, with the objects or the ways they might fail on a task versus succeed. And, uh, and all of those are interesting passive collection opportunities that we see where we could anonymize that data, collect it. Um, and in some of the examples of the researchers we're talking to right now, they have deep genetic profiles on the children involved. And so they can potentially join that data set. And those are all things we're really open to. So you know, I think if you know anyone in that space who's interested in, uh, in reaching out as we get off the ground, um, you know, I think it's very straightforward for us in this tracked environment to start building those collections. And then it's just a matter of uh, being clear about how we represent it as we put, push it out to the market. Hey. All right. Um, all right, my name is. Uh, Torrance Jones from Oral Roberts University. Uh, so my question is, um, for, I mean, you gave some staggering numbers with, for, for autism among adults. Um, is it any possibility that you're working on creating a program such as this to help adults so that perhaps they would be able to function better in a uh, post-high school environment or even a collegiate environment? Absolutely. Um, so we see... We see the full range from children to adults uh, as the market, though right now when you look at the U.S. market, the majority of the spend is on kids. And so a lot of the stats around you know, how much is spent on autism therapy ends up being very concentrated towards uh, a specific form of therapy, which is called applied behavioral analysis, and, you know, and, the, and the target market for that. Um, but uh, I think we're on the on the, sh the beginning of a wave of uh, awareness societally about what's about to happen, where the diagnosis rates have gone up so much in the last 15 years that there's teenagers and below who are going to be adults in the next five years who uh, need a lot of help. And you know, these, this is a way for us to, to build towards it. So you know, we chose the police safety as our first example of this type of uh, social training because it's really top of mind to a lot of the families. Uh, that being said, you could imagine whether it's training to be a barista at Starbucks or um, versions of the classroom example that I think Dr. Greenleaf showed in the, in the opening speech, uh, that things like that tailored towards the specific challenges that the autistic community has could be built into the content. Um, I think one of the things we're big believers in right now that is that uh, the coaching, live coaching is really important. Uh, we don't think the state of artificial intelligence or voice recognition, especially for this community um, who might be you know, speech impaired, uh, is where it needs to be. And so everything we're designing is for this notion of supervised VR. Um, and, and we think that potentially, you know, we're going to prove it in autism, um, but potentially this idea of supervised VR has much broader applicability um, than simply area. Right. Thank you very much. Yeah. Great. If you can come up here just where we're, so we're recording. Thank you. 
and ABA is so expensive, 1% of the population. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so our insurance did not cover ABA the first year. It's a $55,000 year cost out of pocket. So for us, um, very few families can afford that. So I saw on your website that partnering with the early childhood school that they do floor time there. They're, They're so are you school. learning from each other and applying floor time? So the relational models of that to this, and that's where the supervised learning or yeah. stuff comes so from. So we have a therapist on staff and mm -hmm. and and uh, and a developmental pediatrician with autism experience on staff. And so uh, the content you see here has been designed and built by our team and our well, resources. That being said, the vision of the company long term is that. Um, there's lots of different curriculums and protocols around autism therapy. It'll be impossible for any company to kind of encompass the full breadth, nor do we want to. And so, I mean, this sounds trite, but from a consumer perspective, we're trying to build Netflix for therapy. Mm -hmm. that no, and, and floor time is so important, and it doesn't get reimbursed. ABA does, but floor time right. doesn't. So I, I yeah. think it's awesome. Yeah, and so we very intentionally found a DIR floor time school for yeah. one of our pilots and an ABA therapy company. And sorry for others cool. who don't know that. These are basically two distinct uh, therapy protocols or, or principles that are built around therapy. And, and uh, they both have pros and cons. And in they some ways, they're competitors with each other in how they present themselves to families. Yeah. And our vision is that we want parents and sometimes these sole proprietor therapists to be able to sample, to pick and choose, to to get experience. If you want to try you know, PRT therapy and you don't know what that is, there should be an easy way to do that without having to interview therapists and, and find them. And, and you know, there, cool. there are very few therapists that are trained in some of these more uh, edge case areas. Cool. Thank you. This is awesome. Very, very interesting talk. Thank you. A uh, couple questions. One, um, perhaps I missed this in the middle of the talk, but is your intent to, to enable parents to do most of the therapy? Do you see that as the I outcome? I, you know, we, we're not I think ahead of our efficacy uh, results, we're not trying to, uh, I think, uh, we're trying to temper kind of our boldness in how we, so, yeah. I mean, we want to superpower parents where possible, for sure, um, because parents have time uh, a very inexpensive labor to be providing and uh, and have a lot of motivation. That being said, I think the jury's out on to what extent those parents can be effective. And so we're starting from a premise of uh, working with professionals to prove that the VR platform itself is effective and to understand, you know, we're going to be video coding all of our, of our sessions. So the idea is for us to understand to what extent parents could step into those rules versus to what extent it's just physically impossible because of the real-time decision-making that a trained therapist does in that setting. We also think there's lots of in-between gradients where when you look at, for instance, in the school systems, a lot of these kids will have full-time aides shadowing them in mainstream classes. Those aides are essentially paraprofessionals, sometimes high school grads or just college grads, but not trained therapists, but potentially in between or aspiring to become a therapist and that there might be opportunities to essentially give them superpowers, to give them activities that they could be doing that are more constructive than what they might do right now. So, so prompting for the, yeah. for the therapist as well as Exactly, yeah. And I don't know if, it, if I, I didn't point this out when I was doing the demo, so, uh, but we basically almost teleprompter style are building content okay. to coach the coach. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the idea is that while the session's going on on the iPad, you, um, you actually will see these text prompts that are for you not seen by the child to essentially help you. So in some cases, that's pra good praise language for the situation. In other cases, it's, oh, you need to help them. They got stuck. 
Um, here's some example language to get them unstuck on the things. Uh, the other thing that we try to do with the, with the supervisory console is that we give the adult a wider field of view so they can also use like hand over hand techniques or other things where if the, the child gets stuck, maybe they don't see things out of the corner of the eye that, that basically the adult who's present in the room could literally put your hands on the shoulder and redirect them to get them going again. And then just one other quick question that was asked before. How long can the kids tolerate having the headset on? Yeah, that's one of the big questions we have. We're working with a, with a VR uh, uh, researcher at University of Maryland, um, where my wife was also a professor, uh, on uh, tolerance. And the first step we've taken, because I think like Dr. Greenleaf stated in the opening talk, that there's not a lot of scientific research on, you know, we're building on Google Cardboard, which gives you the lowest age restrictions to work with you know, six and above, um, similar to the Google Expeditions program that's in schools already. That being said, what we've done is we've designed, designed each lesson to be less than five minutes so that we can essentially stair-step them. Um, basically, the advice we got is as long as the initial exposures are for less than 15 minutes, then you can use observational techniques. So part of our supplemental materials also is training the adults on, you know, being able to essentially observe exhaustion and motion sickness Right now, we're screening out anyone with seizure history, um, things like that, you know, strabismus. Uh, so that's all part of the pilot design right now, but it's an evolving space. Thanks. Great. Yeah, thanks.